The word dramaturgy is unusual enough that my phone's autocorrect function changes it to dramaturgy. Even for theater makers, the concept is nebulous enough to prompt articles about it in major newspapers with headlines like, What the Bleep is a Dramaturg? In my dramaturgy classroom, I aim to demystify dramaturgy as an art form by recognizing that, as scholars and theater makers, we all already commit acts of dramaturgy regularly and enthusiastically. In my books, dramaturgy is an act of creation and more of a mindset than a set of rules, regulations, and duties. I'm Professor Molly Seremet, and it's such a thrill to welcome you back for season two of Writ in the Margins, a podcast that harnesses dramaturgical thinking as a performative act of creation. This podcast was conceptualized, researched, written, produced, and realized by the graduate students in the Shakespeare and Performance Program at Mary Baldwin University. For season two, we are bringing you 13 episodes that unpack, investigate, reimagine, and sometimes even push against five wildly different plays. El Muerto Dissimulado, or Presumed Dead, by Angela de Azevedo. The Antipodes, by Richard Broom. The Island Princess, by John Fletcher. Loa to the Divine Narcissus, by Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz. And Life is a Dream, by Pedro Calderón de la Barca. These plays sit alongside Shakespeare in the universe of early modern drama, but each has its own unique terrain and orbit. And each episode offers a close look at key features of the landscape from a dramaturgical perspective. In their research, students have deployed tools of structural analysis, contextual synthesis, and creative intervention, and have intermingled their research with performed scenes, original music, and special features galore. Feel free to listen to the episodes in this season in any order. I hope you'll also go back and revisit season one as well. Do visit our website for show notes, transcripts, and bibliographic materials. We appreciate the support of Mary Baldwin University's Shakespeare and Performance Program in this endeavor. Now that's enough for me. On to your episode of Writ in the Margins. love, though. Despite love being such an integral part of the human experience, there have been thousands of years of debate that we know of which have circled around this strange and ephemeral feeling that makes our hearts flutter and puts butterflies in our bellies. Aristotle, one of the most prominent philosophers of the Western world, claimed that love is composed of a single soul inhabiting two bodies. One of the most famous passages about love in the Bible features Christ explaining that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, and etc. And perhaps the greatest philosopher of our time, Hathaway, claimed that the ultimate answer to what is love is simply, baby, don't hurt me. Wise words indeed. Despite all of these brilliant attempts to encapsulate the meaning of love, there's still no final consensus regarding the exact definition. For example, a child is likely to have a different definition of love from her mother, an elderly widow a different definition from a young soldier. Though love is such a universal experience, 
Love sounds with a different resonance in the heart of every person. Just as in real life, love is also a hot topic in Lope de Vega's masterwork play, Fuente Abahuna. In this play, the characters debate whether love actually exists, what the nature of love is if it exists, and what the signifiers of love are in oneself and in others. De Vega examines the many different kinds of affection and passion that exist in the real world through the fictitious world of his play. In today's mini-sode of Writ in the Margins, a podcast created by the Shakespeare and Performance graduate students at Mary Baldwin University, we're going to explore how Lope de Vega chose to tackle this age-old question and see what we can learn about love through his works. My name is Jordan Willis, and today we're going to talk about love. are not the instrument of love, I don't know what is, man. <laughs> now, before we start delving into Lope de Vega's Fuente Alvajuna, let's take a quick moment to talk about who the heck this guy is and what the heck this play is even about. Lope de Vega was a Spanish playwright, poet, and novelist born in 1562 in the capital city of Madrid. In the world of Spanish literature, de Vega's renown is seconded only to Miguel de Cervantes, the author of Don Quixote. In fact, de Vega wrote such a large corpus of brilliant works that Cervantes himself referred to de Vega as the phoenix of wits and a monster of nature. Basically, the English equivalent of how big of a deal that is is to imagine if William Shakespeare referred to a fellow writer with those same terms. That's how big of a deal Lope de Vega is in the world of Spanish literature. And Fuente Alvajuna is a heck of a big deal, too. The story of this play is based off of a real historical event that happened in 1476 in a small town called, you guessed it, Fuente Alvajuna. While under the command of the Order of Calatrava, a commander, Fernán Gómez de Guzmán, vilely mistreated the villagers, who then joined together and killed him. When a magistrate, sent by King Ferdinand II of Aragon, arrived at the village to investigate what happened, the villagers, even under the pain of torture, responded only by saying, Fuente Avajuna did it. Lope de Vega then took this historical tale and breathed dramatic life into it, creating a sick villain of the commander, a complex pair of lovers in Laurencia and Frondoso, the wise natural fool Mingo, and a host of other rich and lively characters. While this play tackles so many different concepts in brilliant ways, such as the class struggle between the poor agrarian workers and rich noblemen, the concept of real Christianity versus false Christianity, the difference between toxic masculinity and wholesome masculinity, and all around women's rights, our episode today is focusing specifically on love and how it manifests itself within the story. I think this exploration of love in Fuente Avahuna is a dramaturgically worthy pursuit. One reason is because in this play, Barildo specifically cites Plato's Symposium. 
I seem to have some memory of a sermon I heard by and by regarding Plato, some Greek guy, who taught humanity to love, although the love he felt was aimed at virtue and his loved one's soul. Because de Vega directly alluded to this classic work, wherein love is such a hot topic of debate, it seems he was making a conscious connection between the characters in Plato's work and the characters in his own work. And boy, howdy, do we dramaturgs love it when authors make direct references to classical works. It gives us something to really sink our teeth into. The ancient Greek language had many different names for love. So, in honor of this connection with our good buddy Plato, I will be using some of those terms throughout this podcast. De Vega contrasts the sexual desire, or eros, the commander experiences for Laurentia, against the virtuous, romantic love, or erotas, that Frondoso feels for Laurentia. We see the bantering, playful love, or ludus, the community of Fuente Avahuna has for each other in revelry, foiled against the deep, blood-bonding camaraderie, or philia, the community forms through their collective trauma and need to protect each other. In their article, Fuente Avahuna, Form and Meaning, Spanish literature scholars Joaquin Casalduero and Ruth Witteridge offer a description of the main two camps of love that are contrasted with each other. They write, Natural love, which is egotistic because it wishes only to satisfy its own desires, is opposed to platonic love the love which adores the virtue in the beloved. In light of this, we're going to explore the conversations about love characters share with each other, the actual love bonds that are foiled against one another within the structure of this play, and the questions and assertions the playwright makes about love on a large scale throughout the text. The first scene in which we meet the citizens of Fuente Avahuna features the younger characters arguing over the nature of love. The action begins with Laurencia and her friend Pasquala disdaining the actions of the commander, a man who has a long history in the village of preying upon young women and wooing them only for his lust's sake. Laurencia describes how the commander's servant attempted to ply her heart with a jerkin and a choker that their master had assumed I'd crave. Though gift-giving and honeyed words are traditionally appropriate means of courting, the women determine that these offerings are not given from the place of romantic love, but instead from sexual desire. They then conclude, based on the commander's actions, that all men ultimately only want women to satisfy their lust, and that there is no true love within men. Pasquala claims, As long as they desire us, we're their soul their heart, their everything, their whole life's being, and can do no wrong. But once the fire of passion's spent, now chastise us for our consent. Thus, Lope de Vega has introduced his readers and audiences to the first form of love he interrogates throughout the play, sexual love or eros. Larencia and Pasquala believe that men merely spend their passions on women until their lusts are satisfied, and then they're quick to discredit the women who give in to their desires. The commander is the embodiment of this form of love, and the women believe that his desires reflect what lies within the hearts of all men. 
De Vega then introduces a new argument and definition of love, as Mingo, Bardillo, and Frondoso enter. Mingo asserts that all love in the world is not divine, pure, or romantic, but is instead mere self-interest, or, as the Greeks call it, philosia. He claims that in the same way that his arm will react to shield his face from a punch, or his feet will run when his body is in danger, people only act out of love to get things that they want. Pasquala rebukes Mingo's assertion and asks, Isn't there a vital need a man experiences when he loves a woman, or a brute its mate? Pasquala and Mingo then collectively define love to be a desire for beauty, and that love pursues beauty for pleasure. Therefore, Mingo argues, There can be no love but of the kind that everybody seeks to find, by courting pleasure everywhere. In this way, Mingo seems to be correlating Felasha with the eros that Lorencia and Pasquala were decrying in the commander. Though Pasquala originally believes that Mingo's definition of love is untrue, their definition of love as the desire and pursuit of beauty aligns with how these two women describe the commanders, and all men's, affections. After expounding upon these lesser forms of love, Lope de Vega then introduces Frondoza's Erotas as the foil to Eros in Falasha. In the final scene of Act One, Laurencia spurns Frondoza's affections for her. He swears his love for her is sincere and asks of her, For if you know my sole desire is that we marry, why repay these good intentions with such scorn? Laurencia has already expressed her deep distrust of men, however and seems to believe that Frondoso's courting masks the same lustful intentions as the commander's. When the commander attempts to rape Laurencia later in the scene, however, Frondoso swoops in to confront the noble and defend Laurencia's honor. With this action, Frondoso has now foiled the two arguments of love de Vega established so far. He has opposed the sexual eros of the commander, and has also proven Mingo's contention that the only love which exists, the self-love of Falasha, to be false. Frondoso's defense of Laurencia proves that he values her life over his own, which shows the depth of his love must run deeper than the mere desire for her body. Since he risked his life to save her, this also means that the height of his love must fly higher than his love of self. Frondoso's act of honorable selflessness shows the characteristics of true erotas. Frondoso's actions sway Laurencia's heart and instills that same quality of romantic erotas in her. In Act Two, she describes to Pasquala and Mingo how her emotions have shifted from deep mistrust to genuine love. You know how much I've hated men. But Mango, I confess, since then, I've realized he's not like the rest. How valiant Frondoso was. I fear this bravery might mean his death. I love the man. Both lovers, Frondoso and Laurencia, have now become a collective foil to the eros of the commander. They have created a bond deeper than just mere of physical attraction for one another. They instead feel a deep appreciation for each other's internal beauty. This love continues to develop and eventually culminates in their marriage. However, 
This event is ruined when the commander enters to impose his lustful desires on Laurentia. This singular moment is perhaps the clearest demonstration in the entire play of the pure erotus of the lovers contrasting with the lustful eros of the commander. This open and brazen opposition between the commander's eros and the wholesome erotus that Laurentia and Frondozo share for one another galvanizes the community to deepen their own love. Earlier in the play, we see the bantering, playful love, or ludus, the community of Fuente Avahuna has for each other, as they make bets over the meaning of love and drink and sing together. Once the commander ruins the wedding, arrests Frondozo, defiles Jaquita, and beats Laurentia during an attempted rape, the community forms a deep, blood-bonding camaraderie, or philia, through their collective trauma and their need to protect one another. This communal love becomes so strong that the entire town of Fuente Avahuna rises up to murder the commander and his men. Even more telling, after this occurs and the citizens are being interrogated and tortured, no one will give up the names of who incited the uprising. They merely respond that Fuente Avahuna did it. Thus, De Vega once again foils two forms of love. He demonstrates how the lighter love between community can be transformed into such a state where the citizens, even under the threat of torture and death, are willing to risk their well-being for one another. So, what is love? Well, as Lope de Vega shows us, it can be many things. It can be friendship turned to heartfelt romance. It can be a sense of self-preservation and caring for oneself. It can be a community reveling and singing together. Or it can be that same community protecting each other, even through violence. Technically, using the ancient Greeks' different definitions of love, we do see Eros through the commander. And de Vega undauntedly explores the emotions behind Eros as a way to contrast the purer love between Laurentia and Frondozo. In all, de Vega painted an intricate and complicated story as a playground to explore the different types of affection that individuals and collectives feel for one another. There are so many ways this dramaturgical analysis can help in the rehearsal process, too. By exploring the various conflicts and shifts of love in this play, directors will be able to more easily delineate beat shifts and character arcs throughout the show. Actors, too, will be able to use this knowledge to explore the dynamics their characters have with other characters in the show. For example, the actor playing Laurencia will have clearer language to define how the character feels towards Frondozo before and after he rescues her. The actors as a collective will also have the ability to delve into the complexities of how the citizens of Fuente Avahuna interact with each other, both before and after the commander ravages their town. This clarification of love in the rehearsal room will help the actors develop more realistic connections and then tell a clearer story on stage. Sure, the audiences may not think to themselves, oh yes, the ludus of the general community has now shifted into philia, nice. But if directors and actors work together to create playable choices based on that knowledge, the audience will understand that the energy has shifted and that their bonds have deepened. And again, 
there's still so much more to this play besides this. If you'd like to hear more from Written the Margins about Fuente Avahuna, check out our other two episodes, hosted by the dream teams of Keith Taylor and Cole Metz, and Kelsey Harrison and Kaylee Potter. And if you haven't read this play, I honestly could not recommend it highly enough. Well, folks, that's all for today's minisode. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope you have a lovely day. Get it? Get it? Because we just, we just, we just spent a whole episode talking about love, and it's lovely, and yeah, okay, I'm done. Anyways, thank you again, and I will see you later, folks. Thank you to my dear friends Thomas Frader, Kara Hankard, Rachel Lewis, and Robert Gottschall for lending their voice talents to this podcast. Thomas was Barilda, Kara was Pasquala, Rachel was Laurencia, and Robert was Mingo and Frondozo. Thank you, too, to Chris Johnston for teaching me how to not suck at banjo. And finally, I would like to thank Molly Ceramet for her stellar dramaturgy class and for introducing me to this incredible play. Thanks so much for listening to Written the Margins. On behalf of my awesome students, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. All opinions shared on this podcast belong to episode hosts and their special guests, and do not necessarily reflect the positions of our places of work and study. Please check out our show website for more resources, including show notes and transcripts. Now don't be a drama turkey. Listen to another episode.